0: Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamanique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamanique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host, Today, we're going to talk about be present, therefore mindful. You know, so many of my stories take place around the difficulties that I've had in my life, but the lessons that I learned from God during that time. Being a counselor for many years, I was accustomed to people coming to me for guidance and help during challenging times in their lives as well. My job involved listening to their stories and reflecting back to them. At times, it involved sharing my experience and strength and hope with them as well. It was an exchange, a back and forth. I never thought of myself as being their teacher or felt like that I was the one with all the truth and I was there to impart to them. I felt it was a mutual exchange and that I could learn as much from my clients as they did from me. It's difficult to suffer. It's also difficult to watch someone suffer, especially when that's someone that we love. We can feel very powerless in those situations when there's nothing that we can do to make the suffering stop. It's tempting in these situations to try to fix it and figure out a silver bullet, something that we can do so that it will stop. However, that can be a great disadvantage to the one who is suffering. These are some of the ways that we do this. We try to make it stop. We try to fix it when we're uncomfortable being in the presence of suffering. We can lecture the person. We can say, there's no way I would ever put up with something like that. We could offer advice. We can tell them, pull it together or stop crying Even sometimes when people are crying, if we pat them on the back and give them a Kleenex, the message can be, dry it up. We can remind them how strong they are. We can tell them how bad it is for us and how it's so much worse for us. We can minimize their pain or compare them to someone else who has it so much worse. We can tell them to walk in faith. And we can also say, don't give a negative confession. There's so many ways that we can do that, and all of them are usually pretty ineffective and sometimes can even be abusive and wounding. We can all struggle sitting with a person in pain. I've had those challenges myself. There's times that I have felt like I failed. I didn't have the right remedy or thing to say to bring peace and healing and resolution in their lives. It's difficult, especially when we've been, you know, we're believers and we we live a life of faith. It's very difficult when we're in these situations and we don't get immediate healing or things don't get resolved. It's hard to accept sometimes that we aren't going to get over certain things. There are chronic difficulties in life that we may not get over, that we just have to get through. We have to transcend those situations we have to be brought above them in fact it talks in the bible all about being an overcomer my husband uh, one time said something really funny he said we want to be overcomers but we don't want to overcome anything to be an overcomer we have to overcome in one of my times of great suffering god taught me a valuable lesson through my cats Yes, my cats were my teachers and still are. We rescued our cats. And I would used to tell people that, you know, we rescued all our cats. We went and got them from a a rescue. Having had this experience, now I say my cats rescued me. During this time, my mother had just crossed the veil. My husband was working out of town most of the time. And I was alone, I just moved to a new area, didn't know anyone, and I was very sad. Couple that with a relapse of my autoimmune illness, so I couldn't eat much of anything at the time but baby food. I couldn't even medicate my pain with food. I felt pretty miserable. With no end in sight. And that's one of the things about suffering. Sometimes we're in these situations and there's just no end in sight. If you told us it was only going to be three days or three weeks. But when you don't know when it's going to stop. It's like a dark night of the soul. It can be very difficult. The days for me drug along and the minutes seemed like hours. And the only comfort that I had at the time that was another living thing. Were my kitties, my cats. We housed our cats in a large, separate area of our home that had a separate uh, air conditioning unit because so many people at times are allergic to cats, and we would have guests to come and we didn't want them to have a problem especially if they had asthma or something like that so we kept our cats in a whole different section they had a beautiful little area their cat house and they had a way to go in and out and still be contained and be safe and they had little things to climb on and it was a really cool place for our cats I would find myself going out to their dwelling sometimes several times a day to weep and pray I would lay on the floor And they would gather around and begin to minister to me in their own individual ways. Some days I would wail at the top of my lungs. And you know, it talks in the Bible about call for the wailing women to come. God doesn't have a problem with us crying, even wailing. In fact, when I was laying there wailing and feeling so out of control, I would say to God, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to cry and he would say, until you're done. And I was like, at one point I said, fill me with your spirit. Just fill me with your spirit. And he was like, well, I will, but I'm trying to, I have to empty you first because you're full of yourself. We are always aware that sometimes our deliverance we go through, we're out of control with it. God is doing this surgery on us and it It's very challenging to feel out of control, but I would lay there and I would be upset about crying. And the Lord one day was speaking to my heart and he was like, why are you so upset about crying? You sneeze, you cough, you expel gas. You do all these things. You pee, you poop. What's it with you with crying? It's just another form of release, and it's a gift that I've given in order for you to release things out of your body. What would happen if you never peed or pooped? You would be toxic, and you would die. Tears are a form of release. Yes, it feels out of control, kind of like when you're throwing up. It's not always pleasant, but it is necessary. It's very necessary, and it's so precious to God that it says in the scriptures that he collects our tears and keeps them in a bottle i would find myself going into the cat dwelling several times sometimes a day to weep and pray and when they would come toward me when i would be wailing sometimes really loudly i would think that that would scare them away it didn't they were more drawn to me during those times And in their own individual ways, they would minister to me. Mucky was so precious. He would come up and he would take his paws and put them on either side of my face and hold my face. Sometimes he would take my arm and hold it between his paws and put it on his face. Frankie would get down at my feet and he would lay down and push his feet against my feet like he was giving me a chiropractic adjustment. Smokey would nip me with his just not not to hurt me, but just nip me. That was his way of kissing. Salome, was, she, she's our cat that's very independent. She's a tortoiseshell, a tortie, and she would just pace around and kind of like she was walking and doing intercession. And then Ellie would come and she would lick me and groom my hair and groom my face like I was her kitten. In fact, Ellie still does that to this day, and Ellie can tell when I need to be groomed. She can tell if I'm having a stressful day. She'll come up to me and she'll go, me, me, me and I'll have to lay down, and she'll come and groom me. She's co-regulating with me. She knows that I'm in need sometimes before I know that I'm in need because she's present, she's observant, and she ministers to me in those times. My animals would not leave my side until the suffering would lift, and then they would go back to their cat lives, as if nothing ever happened. Sometimes I would make more than one one day one one trip a day to their dwelling and as I would lay on the floor with them around me I would experience healing their simple presence in my pain was a incredible healing agent they didn't give me any advice they did not lecture me they didn't try to stop my tears they didn't try to fix me or shut me down and they were not threatened by my brutal pain or what seemed to be a complete breakdown which was really a breakthrough and that's something that I had to say at times I would feel like I was breaking down and it was like no I'm not breaking down I'm not having to break down I'm having to break through there I was and they were there with me in the present with me in my pain and through this process I learned the power of being present in the lives of others. My cats were my teachers. I was their apprentice. I learned what it feels like when we're at our wit's end, and yet we're not turned away or shamed by our inability to hold it all together. In those moments of raw reality, the one who is suffering and the one who serves as a witness has an opportunity to become more whole. It's proven that children who were abused who have had a witness in their lives, someone who witnessed their pain and let them know that what was what had happened to them was wrong, and let them know they are not alone. They fare far better and with less after effects of the abuse than others who did not have a witness. That is the power of just one witness. Some years back, I was in a therapy group with a woman who shared a story. I've never forgotten this story. It really altered my life. This woman was very cultured and looked to come from money. She wore the finest clothes. She was very refined. She was very compassionate, very kind, very put together. I was shocked to find out that it wasn't always that way for her. She came from a very dysfunctional, addictive, and abusive family. She, in fact, lived in the inner city, in a major city in the South, and she was raised there. Her sister was a prostitute. Her brother was killed by gang violence, and her father and brother, her other brother who was alive, were both in prison. An organization decided to come there to do an outreach there in the inner city, and they wanted to sponsor doing projects with the young boys and the young girls. So they set up this this outreach where they would work with the young boys, and they would do woodworking with them, and they would work with the young girls and do a sewing project with them. And the newspaper, the local newspaper, thought they would come and then they would do a story on this. So they sent a reporter and they sent a photographer to get the story. This woman in the therapy group said the photographer and the person writing the story came over to her to interview her and take a picture of her with what she had made with her sewing that she had done. But before the photographer walked away, he leaned over to her and he said, look around you. Look at all this desolation here that, you're, that you've that you been a part of. I want you to know this is not who you are. This is not your destination. And I was sent by God to tell you this. You are special. And you're going to make different choices so that you have a good life. She said she never forgot that photographer or his words. And it so impacted her that it enabled her to live a different life and walk a different path. That, my friends, is the power of a witness. And all it takes is just one to show up to be present in someone's life and suffering. My mother is an example of that. My mother, Rosemary Stanley, who is now with the Lord, she was a great role model to me about this. She was a kindergarten teacher for over 50 years, and she saw that as a calling in her life. It was a sacred trust to her, Wish would be that all teachers were that way. She knew that she had the life of a child in her hands and that what she was doing in that classroom for that year could greatly impact their life and their future. So on the way to school, Every morning driving to school, she would pray, and she would say, Lord, help me not to wound one of your precious children today, but help me to impact them for goodness. And that's what she did with her life. In fact, she would take all the art from her kindergarten class and put it in a file. And then 12 years later, when they were graduating for high school, she would send out an invitation to come to have a night with Mrs. Stanley where they would sit on the rug, the same rug they sat on when they were little and they would have show and tell. And she would listen to their dreams and talk about their plans. And then she would hand them the art they had done. And she would speak over them what she saw in their lives and what she felt that they would be able to do to impact others. That's really what Jesus did when he spoke to the disciples. He didn't speak to what was already there. He spoke to what he saw. He spoke to what was going to happen, what would happen, what could happen in the lives of people. And that's what, the, that's what my mother did. In fact, to the degree that there was a young, young child in her class one year and he, and he wanted to be a country music star. He was only five years old, but that was his goal. They actually did a documentary on this young, this, this star on the country music television. And they interviewed my mother for it because he said next to his mother, who impacted his life greatly, was my mother, his kindergarten teacher, Rosemary Stanley. What my mother did was she saw that in him and she called it forth. He would come to school with his cowboy boots on and his cowboy hat, carrying his guitar, Little plastic guitar, and so she marched him down to the principal's office one day, and she said to the principal, "She introduced him. This is this is so and so. He's a country music star, and he needs to sing. So she, they allowed him to sing over the loudspeaker that day, and he he sang over the loudspeaker. That was his first performance. Because of that, it opened a gate. That that young." five-year-old boy did become that country music star that my mother saw in him. That's the power that we have of being present in people's lives and speaking and being a witness in their lives. Being present doesn't just magically happen. We must be intentional to show up in our own lives and in the lives of others Being present means being focused and engaged in the here and now. There were times I used to wear, at some point when I was really working on this, I wore a bracelet that said, be here now. So I would look down and remind myself constantly to be present. We cannot be present when we're distracted. We cannot be present and multitask. In fact, it's been proven that multitasking is really damaging to the brain. We cannot be up in our heads thinking about something else when others are talking with us and be present. We must stay focused on one thing at a time and practice bringing ourselves back to the present when our minds stray. The word present actually describes what it is when you think of the present. It is a present. It's a gift. Those who are present are fully conscious in the moment and cherishing each moment fully, like a gift. After all, all we really have is the present, because the past is gone and the future has not yet arrived. Another benefit of being present in our own lives is that we learn to accept life on life's terms. We allow life to simply be as it is, I have a saying that I learned from another person. What is, is. We let go of the need to control and make life be as we think it should be. In fact, in my 12-step recovery work, I learned that acceptance is the key to most all of our problems and that when we are not accepting, it increases our suffering because we're pushing against the goads. We're fighting against the process. Those of us women who've had babies understand when you're going through labor, if you fight the process, it makes the suffering increase. You have to focus and move with the process. And that's the way it is in life. Living in the moment is called mindfulness. It's intentional attention on the present. What's in front of us at this moment in time. And as we practice being in the moment, we'll become more observant of our own bodies, of our own thoughts and feelings. And then once we get used to doing that for ourselves, we'll be able to do it with those around us and our environment will pick up on things. And it's really important in this time that we're in that we need to be present and notice what's going on around us. Mindfulness has shown to decrease stress. Increase well being and improve our relationships. In relation to being there for others, being present means being totally committed to the person in their time of need as their witness, like a midwife, so to speak. We're not there to do their work, but we're there to witness and remind them to breathe and help them, to support them through the process, letting them know that they're not alone. There's someone present with them in their suffering. In the case of my kitties, they had perfected and have perfected the act of mindfulness of being fully present. They sat with me through my suffering and let me know I was not alone. I was not judged as weak for being vulnerable or not having enough faith, and they didn't try to remedy my maladies. They were just there being who God made them to be. They were good kitties and they were there for me in the moment and they were enough. In fact, I had a friend that came to visit me one time, and I was in a relapse at the time, and she was so worried about what was she was going to be able to do to support me. And I had told her the story about the kitties, and when she was on the plane flying in to California, she said she prayed and said to God, I don't know what to do to help Quamanique. And he said, just watch the kitties and do what they do. I learned from my cats that all I needed to do to help others in their suffering was just be present one day I shared with my friend how the cats were ministering to me through their presence and acceptance and she happened to be at TJ Maxx or Ross I don't remember which store but she saw this little plaque and she bought it for me and the plaque there were two simple words it said cat scan I hung it on the door to the entrance of my kitty's home and every time I would go in and out for my therapeutic time with my cats I would say I was going to get a cat scan I have to tell you, it was better than any medical CAT scan that I ever had. I invite you today to be present in your life. This life is the only one we're going to have. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And we need to show up in our humanity and really embrace this gift. We don't want to waste another minute of it. Thank you, friends, for your time today and sharing that with me. I'm so honored because I know your time is valuable. If you'd like to know more about me or about what we have on our website, you can go to indigenousmessengers.com. And as I always say, this is dedicated to my children and my grandchildren who have been my greatest teachers. Thank you for listening to Be Attitudes with Dr. Kwomani Tsukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.